This podcast is intended for listeners that are 18 years or older. Explicit language, sensitive content, and views that are objectionable to some listeners may be present in the podcast. As such, listener discretion is strongly advised. Please read our podcast terms and conditions before listening to Up the Rabbit Hole. Welcome back to episode three of Up the Rabbit Hole with Dr. Corey Harushka and Brandy Ans. And today we also have a new guest. Uh, Brandy, do you want to introduce our guest to today? Absolutely. We have got a special guest. She's a senior registered psychologist that's been working here at Insight with us for four years, Miss Cindy Gaffney. Well, hello. I'm happy to be here today. And so one of the first things that was asked of me is to do an introduction of myself. So Hello, everyone. My name is Cindy Gaffney, and I'm a fully registered psychologist and have been for about a decade now. I haven't been enjoying my time here. I really like the environment and the atmosphere. Lots of people are very friendly and helpful, and I really enjoy it. Uh, My most recent training is as a grief and loss uh, specialist. And so the grief recovery method, I will be a specialist in the next seven weeks, but I have to finish out that process. Anyway, that's me. Any questions? Well, well, welcome to today's session. Welcome to today's session, Cindy. We're so glad to have you with us. And so we're going to be talking today a little bit about some transitioning stuff, gender transitioning, maybe a little bit more focus with uh, kind of youth. But before we start with those fun questions, uh, of course, I have to start with my joke of the day from the 80s. And so we're going to get into a little of that one. And so I'm trying to remember if this is actually a Johnny joke or not. But so maybe I'll just put it as a Johnny joke because that's kind of where it started. And so little Johnny was walking around in a, um, a, a park. And so he was eating a chocolate bar. And so while he was walking, he finished his chocolate bar and threw the, the wrapper on the ground. And this uh, older gentleman approached him and said, uh, excuse me, young sir. Like what, you know, you, you made a mess on there. Well, like, wh- where's your litter bag? And little Johnny goes right behind my litter dink. Where do you think it is? And so welcome to some of my <laughs> early 80s humor that is kind of leached into the current. So, yes. You know, Corey, I said it once, I'm going to say it again. We're going to have to really get a background on where all these jokes really come from for you. It's fantastic. So, yes. Okay. So let's let's start on with transitioning. Now, what is transitioning? So this is when individuals are usually transitioning from one gender to either another or kind of even not necessarily to another gender. But, um, well, we'll talk a little bit about that in terms of um, transitioning, because a lot of people think that there's either transitioning from male to a female. um, But with the new dynamics and the terms coming out, there's a lot more gender neutral. um, And we have two spirited lenses, which is kind of having a, it's more of an Aboriginal term from the Natlehi, which is kind of a, both a male and a female spirit inside. And so there's even some just kind of gender queer dynamics, which kind of are a little bit more of a blend. But so why don't we just start off with Cindy, you you had some questions because I think you're dealing with some clients. And then why don't we just kind of launch into that and we can have fun. So my first question for you is, how would we start a conversation or what kind of questions can we ask uh, youth about this topic i'm going to go through their whole history because normally when i'm doing a looking at gender identity dynamics i'm going to look back at the history first uh, what's going on 
when did it start? Uh, what are the thoughts? Are there any family history? Normally what I'm gonna see is there's gonna be in some clusters of groups, there's gonna be about a starting age of about age five where they start to have some initial thoughts of gender, uh, different gender orientations. Um, and then it, it may hold itself and continue and grow or it may disappear for a little bit. Uh, the next kind of key surge that I'll typically see, and it's a lot stronger, is when they hit adolescence. And at adolescence, they start going through the body changes, and, and that can cause more dysphoria or that uncomfortableness inside them. And so when their body starts to change, either they're growing facial hair or breast development or the body starts, that's when you'll see it really flag a lot more. And so most adolescents will have occasional thoughts during that period of time of, of playing with gender roles and gender identity a little bit, but it tends to dissipate, you know, within about a year in my experience. So what we're doing is if they're going to be younger than adolescents, one of the options is trying to look at what, what's going through their mind. You know, are these individuals too spirited or, you know, do they want to pick a, a, a gender orientation um, or identity that's kind of different than when they're at. And so it's really exploring what are they looking at, what kind of relationship dynamics might they be depending on their age. If they're adolescents, there is an option for us to look at hormones to stop puberty from um, developing so that we have a little bit more time to help them explore whether this is something they seriously wanna move forward with. And of course you need parental consent to this process. And so that's kind of, that, that history becomes the most important dynamic. Uh, what's happening? Is there any history of sexual abuse? Are there any things that might be related to this or contaminating their gender identity uh, growth if it's not uh, more biologically uh, predetermined or predestined? And I think just to uh, go back on that, Corey, I think one of the best resources that I've used, both with parents of children who are, are either thinking about transitioning or questioning their gender, is the genderbred person. Anybody can access this online. It goes through, um, you know, biological sex. So what sex we were born with, uh, gender identity. So what gender are we kind of identifying with, um, who we love and how we think. And I think it's really great information for both parents and kids to look over that, discuss it. And it really gives the child or teen or adult more input on what it is looking like, whether this is uh, something that they want to continue if a, a transitioning is going to be happening. Yeah, and that one includes a little bit more because it talks about gender, well, gender preference and sexual preference. So there's a difference between an intimacy relationship and a sexual preference, and they don't always line up either. So those are our arousal templates, and that we can, we'll chat at another um, session on this topic. But adding more to that, that the genderbred person is a really good starting base because it gives you like the, the core, core basis, but we actually have a lot more other variables when we're looking at it to help understand what's going on. So for instance, when people are born, typically there's the XXXXY chromosomes, and so those are usually you know, male or female. But we also have other chromosomal dynamics that aren't so nice and clear, like XO, which would be Turner syndrome, which you know has, they have a lot of the female parts, because we all started as female, but they haven't been masculinized, or they're, um, and, and then how do we define whether those are defined as male or female, because male is XY and female is XX, but all the other ones, all the genetic dynamics that are out there, the diversity may not have a nice clear label in one of those two. Same thing with um, XXY. 
which is the, you know, the hermaphrodism dynamic where you have genetics of both males and females, and you actually might have all the parts or a bunch of the parts from each. Um, and therefore, how do we define? And I think right now, let's say in the States, there's a lot more, you know, you have to use which bathroom. And I'm thinking, I've been doing this for a lot of time, and I'm not always clear on how we're going to define, you know, maleness or femaleness, because I have clients with both parts. And technically, you know, their genetics may, may not line up with their body parts, even um, you could have male, you know, androgen and sensitivity syndrome. So you could be a, an XY, genetically a male, but really all the male hormones have not masculinized your body. So really your body looks feminine with a few male parts attached to that. Um, and so it's kind of, it's a lot more complicated and a lot more gray than a lot of people think it is because most people aren't looking at body parts in their day. You look at the outside presence. And so there's a lot more things. Um, same thing with brain differentiation, the, you know, the internal organs that could be different than the external organs, which could be that different than how much that, uh, you know, the hormones have impacted your brain and how it differentiated to be more masculinized or feminized. And all of those then relate to your gender, uh, you know, how your upbringing and what you look like and how people are going to define it. And even sometimes gender role, people will, you know, you might be a biological female, but you may look more masculine in some ways. And so your parents may make you have more of a role or they put you in a role of more masculine. So you learn how to be male or female. Um, but there's fascinating um, kind of biological stuff. Five alpha reductase syndrome is another one where you're a genetic male. But again, you, none of your organs kind of you grow a penis when you're in adolescence, in essence. So you're brought up as a female up until then because you look very feminine um but this is a little bit of a a, a wet your appetite and give you some tidbits on this uh, yeah because the one you missed was xyy which lots of the prison populations have and so i don't know right, how you're super males yeah those are the super males yeah okay well uh thank you and so that makes a lot of sense to go back and sort of run it through for them how did you get here uh what's maybe influencing you so i like that and so um just to round out this last question, uh, do you have any talk about adults? Well, with adults, it's it's very similar. I mean, I, I had actually a larger cluster, and I think it could be just because of within the last probably 10 years, um, transitioning has become a lot more acceptable. And so I have a lot of people in their 40s to, to 60s actually transitioning um, because they were, you know, they grew up, they were, you know, told to be very male. Um, but really, they were kind of trans female. And so what happens, they join the military, um, or join very masculine, you know, traits or jobs, and then it's not really working out. And so they kind of the openness and the support has kind of come online in the government, um, and the community, and therefore, they're choosing to now transition over um, with a lot more support than they might have been uh, 10 years ago, even. So the, the general rule is we're just trying to get them more resources. So there are some really good important information that I would say to help people understand. So the, the, the World Organization is WPATH.org, which is probably, it used to be the Harry Benjamin Foundation, but now it's moved to WPATH. So that would be one of the more important websites to look up to get resources because that also includes the standards of care. And the standards of care, what we have to follow and, you know, and the guidelines, um, should we look at helping someone transition, which also goes through some of the information for youth and adolescents as well. I mean, everyone can download it and, and have access to it. 
Um, in Canada, there's also CPATH, um, which is a Canadian um, version of that. Um, and then we're, we're located in Edmonton, but we also have, uh, trying to help them link up with some of the resources. In Edmonton, we have the Pride Center, there's the Gender Clinic, there's also the Wellness Center um, in Edmonton, and then linking them up with some of the other community resources within the hospital or physicians who are specialized or primary in that area to help them get connected to either the hormones, um, uh, you know, voice training services, um, or even, and even facial reconstruction surgery or breast augmentation dynamics. So that's part of the area that you need to kind of know if you're going to be exploring in this area with transitioning is really knowing the resources, getting them connected, helping them support through those processes. Um, as the rules keep changing in the government in terms of the standards of what we can allow in Alberta and here. Um, and so being up to date on that is important. Fantastic. We've got a secondary question from a listener. Are you ready, Corey? You bet. Uh, so the question is, how can we tell if, if this choice of transition is quite serious? Uh, is it a legitimate life choice? Is it just an awkward time for these children? Or are they feeling awkward in their bodies? It could be any and all of those. And so that's why when we're following them in, in session, is we're trying to look for that historical pattern. It, and, and so the more we can gather information, um, on what's going on, the more we can get a gauge on whether this is really a, a life choice and it's been there for a while, or whether they're just uncomfortable in their body and they might be more genderqueer, but they might not want to fully transition. I have some individuals that don't want to lose their old parts, but they don't align very well with their mindset. And so they still might not go through bottom surgery, let's say, um, but they might go through top surgery to kind of modify that. And therefore they get kind of a little blend of both because and then they've grown up with it they've become attached to their body parts and they know them but it, and it may not be you know either due to surgery dynamics that are not as effective or it's just not something that they want to work on or transition at this point so it's just helping them explore where that role is the easier part is the the real life test is one of the requirements for them to before they can go through surgery or bottom surgery um, and transition. And so that's one of those things that one of the requirements is to live that life, whatever that might be, um, under the guidance of either a psychiatrist or a psychologist. Well, this is also a really great time where you can introduce blockers as opposed to going straight to hormones. Uh, blockers will stop kind of the progression and the maturation process. So, so if it's a child, they can really get an idea of, is this something that I want to change? Is this something that I want to live in? or live with, and it gives them that time. So it's pressing that pause button. So there's no more maturation, gives them the time. They can talk it over with their psychiatrist, their psychologist, their parents, and then make the decision on how to progress forward. You can even do that with adults. So adults yep. may want to say, I, I don't want to have this. Uh, I want to stop my menses for, for women, or I want to stop this facial hair and you know this mask. So they might go on anti-androgens, or on anti-estrogens just to kind of more neutralize kind of their, their, their body response and what's going on. So those are options too for adults. And I think it should be known that, especially if we have parents listening to this, that it doesn't change anything. It just kind of presses the pause button. So it's, it, it's not going to be um, like, it's reversible quote unquote. For the children, yes. Yes. <clears throat> I think one of the concerns to be aware of though is for, for girl, it's a female to male. So if it's a young girl who's, you know, wanting to transition to male, if they wait too long, 
because they say, oh, we'll just deal with this after adolescence. What happens is one of the things that changes is that the vocalizations start to develop in terms of a deeper voice. And so your masculinization of your vocal cords occurs and no amount of hormones is going to change that or lack of them. So that's the one thing you got to be able to watch either breast development the other ways. Once you grow breasts, we have to now remove those if we're looking at uh, female to male and, and the voice doesn't change. So there are certain things that it's better to pause it and explore it rather than wait and then try to reverse things that sometimes are not reversible. And sometimes this can really uh, help kids if they're having the dysphoria. They can really figure out, you know, what is it that's bothering about bothering me about my body? How how would it change? How does it look without actually making any physical or surgical alterations at the time? They can also play with dress, so that you know, yes. either more more neutral or even more feminized. And a lot of people will practice this at home first, just to see how that lines up before they may go out kind of in the community to see how that looks. And some people choose very innocuous clothes. You know, you don't get a lot of people dressing up in pretty, you know, pink bows and frilly, frilly dresses when they're transitioning just just because a lot of them will just choose more more feminized clothes that are more casual. 100%. Now that we've got the opinion of the, the child sort of becoming a little bit more clear, what now do we enter into conversation with parents like that's maybe a difficult conversation as well uh thoughts about what to say to parents what kind of information we can give them well that's where i revert right back to i mean some of the stuff we have is uh, i have an old gender um the old gender program from dr wernicke in alberta has a whole bunch of valuable information that's not in the wpath documents and so a lot of times i'll send them out my little packet of information to keep them informed of some of the research, um, some of the, the resources, even kind of letters coming out letters, uh, the process of transitioning in terms of name change or all those stuff, as well as some videos. So there's a, one package that I'll give for that. And then I, I direct them to the WPATH standards so that they're well informed between those two. So that once they're well informed and they have a bunch of base information, they can come back and ask more specific questions. Uh, but usually I'm also gonna talk with the child to kind of let their parents in on this process, unless it's contraindicated because some individuals may come from a very uh, religious or restrictive kind of background that does not allow for this transitioning to occur. And so some individuals have had actually had to leave their family or leave their parents um, because if they were to come out, they would be disowned. Okay, that's pretty significant. So as you can imagine, I'd like to deal with that topic as calmly and straightforwardly as possible when in doubt we want to get that good information get that background explore a lot of the options and be well informed of kind of the resources that are out there so that they can do um some self-exploratory you know in the prize center here i'll send them to the ttiq some of the outside groups that are kind of there so that they can see and talk with other individuals who have gone through that transitioning process and, and ask some of those questions that are not as clinical in nature and help them kind of explore their environment and kind of, you know, come to their own decisions. The rules have changed historically it was more gatekeeping. And now it's almost more supportive of that it's, it's a client's right to choose what they want. And our job is to make sure they're doing that in a healthy way. Well, I think it's also important, especially for young children to kind of normalize it in the respect of this is okay. It's okay to have these feelings. 
this is, and just to walk them through that this may not be what your parents think, but this is okay to have these feelings. That's important because a lot of these kids are coming in that I've worked with anyways, really anxious. They're feeling shame. They're feeling guilt. They, um, they feel as though they don't fit in. They don't feel like they're okay in their body and they're really, really struggling. And just to be able to normalize that and let them know that it's okay is really significant for them. You bet. It, it, it was historically people believed, well, where are these people before? I mean, they've been around for a lot, you know, and this whole gender, like the gender spectrum is a lot, it's been around, but due to societal, you know, expectations and, you know, pressure, people have not talked about it. So I think a lot of the people that are coming forward are the ones that would have been typically hiding it or maybe not paying attention to it and just stuffing it to go forward with because, you know, you got to fit in one of the two boxes. So that's one of the main reasons I think a lot of people are coming forward is because there is much more diversity and sexuality and gender identity. And so these nuances are showing themselves a lot more um, and they're just part of the normal bell curve, technically. Do you have any success stories or um, more beneficial conversations with people that we can learn from? I think in the last 10 years since I've been dealing with this, the, the rules have changed so much that I haven't actually had non-success stories. All of the stories that I've had when done properly have been quite successful because of the, the, the amount of support, the, the processes that have been set in the community, um, and then just being able to know the process for them to be able to go through to help find the resources and go through there. Um, the individuals that were less successful would be you know, people who have jumped into it um, without, you know, consulting with anyone, you know, getting the hormones and, and going through some hormone difficulties or getting surgery elective and then, you know, not, you know, not dealing with any of those issues first. And I think most of the people become so much more internet literate that the clients come to me are well more aware of the things that they were even five years ago. And so I'm less concerned because they've already done their due diligence, got on the networks, connected to people, and they're already relatively confident. 10, 10, 15 years ago, people were like, okay, I'm not sure what's going on. Can you like, let's run this through and see what might be happening. Where do I fit? And there was a lot less information in arm's reach. So I think, I mean, as long as you're making sure that you're getting the information on the internet from a good reputable source, (laughs) there is still a lot of, uh, inaccurate information on the internet so as long as you're following those good you know general guidelines and some then then i think you'll be relatively well informed which is excellent we don't have any more questions uh today Corey. but takeaways do you have any takeaways for today well i think the takeaways is realize that gender is really much more on a continuum than a black or white male or female there's a lot more complexity when i'm looking at this there's 12 or 13 different variables that I'm looking for um, and at when I'm doing a background history. And so it's just not about gender identity or preference. There's a whole bunch of historical components that may play in there to complicate um, one's gender identity. Um, And being really up to date on your community resources is the other one. So like I said, I got Edmonton down pat relatively well. Realize the wait lists are anywhere between two years um, it goes up and down depending on what's going on. So there could be a two-year wait list sometimes to get in to see a psychiatrist. Um, we're trying to change some of that. Um, but some people will start on hormones earlier if approved, and the physicians are now approved to do that. So it's And just know your resources in your community. Realize it's a continuum. It's not a black and white process. 
and uh, there's lots of support. So make sure that, you know, there's lots of support for people out there to get help. Awesome. It's been another amazing time. Cindy, we so thank you so much uh, for joining us today. And thanks to our listeners. We really appreciate you coming to hang out with us for a little bit. If you've got any questions that you want us to address, please feel free to get in touch with us at insightpsychological.ca so we can uh, be able to address what you're looking to be interested in. Take care, guys. See you next round. Next time. Thank you very much for having me. Bye. (laughs) 